Hello and welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that's caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and with me is staff journalist Tom. Hello. And key contributor Chesto. Hello, world. This week, we're discussing Australia's best cop cars, the top highway patrol machines in the post-Commodore and Falcon era, which should be fun. Awesome. We'll look at three recent entrants to the Cars Guide garage, and we'll catch up with a man who's embracing the Mars-bound chaos in this week's Muskwatch. So stay with us. So we're going to jump straight in. And look, the, the catalyst for this uh, whole discussion is a story that our own uh, Dave Morley uh, authored this week around some of the issues, actually, that various uh, police operations around Australia have been experiencing now that they can no longer access the Commodore and Falcon. And, guys, it came into, into four basic areas. Um, one was batteries. And, and I suppose we all instinctively know that when you've got whirling lights on there and radios and goodness knows what else, um, what are they, um, registration plate reading uh, technology, mm -hmm. all of that, there's going to be a drain on your voltage. And police services around the country were assured that there wouldn't be an issue. But sure enough, there has been. And uh, mainly with uh, break, like suddenly just we've got no battery. They're out on a call and they can't yeah. start the car. Um, <laughs> the second thing is um, the BMW Turbo Diesel 5 Series has been pretty popular. And it sometimes there's a requirement for the car to sit idling, sometimes for extended periods. Um, and when that happens, this is an insider, an unnamed source that uh, Dave Morley has been tapping into. Um, they'll go into limp home mode immediately when you jump in and go to accelerate away. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the, the fix is apparently to turn the car off and on again, and then it's okay. But often that's forgotten because you're just used to getting into a car and driving away. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. And then there's also the seats. You get into the likes of a BMW, um, a Stinger GT, other performance-focused type rear-wheel drive cars. And you've got a, you're carrying a, a pistol on your hip. You've got handcuffs. You've got good, a radio. Goodness knows what else. That's not exactly friendly uh, when you're trying to get in and out of the car. No. And the other thing is a lot of these cars, these alternative cars, have high-tech information displays. And the police need to put in their own kind of stuff that takes up dashboard space. Um, so they're so large, these displays, that it's actually difficult to see the stuff that you need to see when you're driving the car. So there are some shortcomings, but but what it got us thinking about was what have the replacements been? If the Holden and the Falcon are still, you know, longed for, I think Dave said, um, if if we're all longing for uh, police cars, um, you know, you're not alone. The police uh, are, are lamenting the loss of them as well. And Chester, you've authored a series of stories over time about the cars that were initially experimented with and some that have been put on the highway patrol fleet. Um, as pursuit vehicles. And the yep. first one that comes to my mind is, of all things, an M5 competition um, in Victoria, mm -hmm. um, an absolute BMW powerhouse. Yeah, so I think that there is a difference. So a lot of police cars, a lot of police uh, organisations around the country take cars as kind of like almost display vehicles, like a rolling advertising hoarding. And, I, and I, yep. if I'm not mistaken, I think the M5 Comp was one of those, but there's been a few over the years. There's been Lotuses and Lambos and everything else. Yep. Or am I wrong, JC? Was that an actual? You are. This, oh. this was fully operational as a highway patrol vehicle. Um, Holy and, yeah, that was in July last year. Now, whether it's hung in there, 
you've got a, a car, you know, when you're in unlock mode, if you tick the box on that option, you've got a 305-kilometre-hour yeah. capable pursuit vehicle. Nothing is really going to get away from this car. No, it certainly is not. Wouldn't there be some fighting over the keys in the locker room? Who, who wants the who wants the, uh, the Camry and who wants the M5 Comp? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, who wants the Passat wagon or the Hyundai <laughs> or the M5 competition? <laughs> M5 Comp. That's right. I had an interesting exactly. thing about the um, uh, A, the Passats, and, and B, the BMWs. The the Passats, they make in a special uh, a special trim level just for the police. It's called like the Passat Pro Line, I think. Mm-hmm. And with okay. the BMWs, they asked for a special like specification trim level for it because like the 530Ds that they use as highway patrolling. Mm. New South Wales, I think uh, they probably use it elsewhere as well. And Victoria, yep. Yeah, um, and that car, I, I think they, they they were saying, oh, we don't actually want the leather seats because, you know, the belts are going to destroy it and, you know, all, all the rest of that sort of thing. And they said, uh, well, every car that comes right-hand drive to Australia has leather seats, so seats. it would cost them too much to take them out and fit yeah. you know, more generic ones uh, yeah. that would probably be a bit more belt-friendly. Belt so I thought that was interesting as well. Um, and, and that brings to mind the idea that, well, what, you know, why isn't there anyone out there who's making uh, specifically a police car? Like, specific, sure. you know how they make specific taxis? Like, the you know, in Japan, well, they've got... I, th- I think that's part of it, Tom, in that BMW provides, you know, vehicles for police all around the world mm. and that they can run one down the line that gets beefed up electrics or whatever it might be in the same way that they do it for a taxi pack or, or other kind of utility-type vehicles. It's just it seems from Dave Morley's story that the uh, the battery uh, in the 530D wasn't quite up to the, to the mark, uh, but they can do that. Again, I think it's probably our size of our market, size of our right-hand drive market issue. Mm-hmm. But isn't it interesting? We, we, we all have this massive obsession with police cars. Journos, we all have it. The readers clearly have it. Those oh, stories yeah. always perform really well. And yet yep. the, de- the dead set last thing I want to see when I'm driving on the road is a new police car, especially in the rearview mirror with the lights flashing. So I don't know if it's like a Schoenfreud kind of thing. Do we like hearing about police not being able to start <laughs> their car and chase after us? I don't know. We, we all seem look- a bit obsessed by it. The, the other, thinking about batteries, the other one that has seen service, uh, and it's a fully operational highway patrol vehicle, is a Model X Tesla in Victoria. Ah. And that was June 2019. So more than 12 months has passed there. Maybe it's passed its use-by date, but uh, it could still well be in service. If anybody's seen it out and about, it'd be great to get the report. I imagine but, it's been uh, retired, JC. Too many crooks slipping out the giant panel gaps. <laughs> but, but talking about being in your mirrors, that would be the ultimate embarrassment for a highway patrol cop. You know, if you're in hot pursuit and pull over to the, uh, the side of the road. Or you're caught playing Frogger on the central screen or something <laughs> equally ridiculous. Uh, yes, I got it. I got to say though, like uh, going into the future, that battery issue has got to become less of a problem, isn't it? When when you've got these more heavy duty electrics going into cars, you know, mm-hmm. huge lithium ion battery cells, forty eight volt electrics, like that's all got to help, right? Yes. Solid solid state as of next year, they tell us. Tom Toyota's mm-hmm. going to do a solid state battery, which battery. will uh, halve yep. your charging time, double your capacity, etc. So yeah, I think the uh, the battery game is going to change completely in the future. Well, the, the thing at the time when we ran this story, uh, the Victoria Police uh, said to us that it was um, it's an opportunity for a car like a Tesla Model X to integrate some of the police systems with the high tech electronics, and we know that Tesla is really way out in front in mm-hmm. terms of the the electric systems that are in the car. So it, it is a fully operational car, but also a concept vehicle 
that allows them to explore those things. So I think that is pretty interesting. But the other the other thing that I found fascinating about the chase for police cars in in New South Wales was the fact that they got all these cars together. I think everybody had a bit of a soft spot for the Mustang. Most of us wanted to see a Mustang police car. A, it would look cool like a police interceptor, and B, it's kind of got that Ford heritage. But anyway, yep. they put all these cars into kind of like a Navy SEAL training camp to see who would finish yes. first. And and the Stang, as I understand it, was one of the first out. Problem Problems with the brakes, problems with the suspension, just in terms of the durability. And I was saying just off the pod earlier, one of the cars that surprised me that allegedly performed the uh, among the absolute high achievers was the Chrysler 300 SRT core. Apparently that yep. thing could just be flogged and keep going. Well, it's in it's definitely in New South Wales um, in use, uh, along with BMWs. But it, to mine, or I always thought it mimics the Falcon Commodore thing most closely yeah. in that it's got the big V8, V8 engine up front, uh, petrol engine, rear-wheel drive, all of those things that the police value. And the, Chesto, you may know better than me or, or some of our listeners and viewers, there's a, a strict set of criteria that these cars have to um, undertake or, or, or meet, mm. and that's dynamic, that's functional, that's a whole bunch of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, and the, and the 300 SRT did very well. I think that's durability the thing, isn't it? key as they, well. No, like, like Americans probably don't struggle with this problem because there are so many more available, you know, mm. on the affordable end of the spectrum with cloth seats and plastic interiors that can be totally refitted, you know, sure. rear-wheel drive cars that are also, yeah. you, you know, not heinously expensive. But the rest of the world, you know, rear-wheel drive sort of is seen as more upmarket so you know you have yep. to sort of pull from that pool of premium cars rather than more affordable cars and you know well, it's interesting stuck in that right hand drive position again aren't we it's interesting you make that comment tom because when you think about the stinger gt mm-hmm. so there's twin turbo v6 rear wheel drive seems to fit the mold and it's in use to my knowledge in queensland and wa in the northern territory and mm-hmm. elsewhere no doubt um, it was actually a Queensland police highway patrol car was taken to SEMA in Las Vegas yeah. um, as an exercise in showing American police uh, utilities what's available. And yeah. it's, been, it's been doing the job here for, well, it was May 2019. We ran that story and it had already been in service uh, by that stage. So it seems to be doing pretty well. I don't think it captured the imagination of the of the Yanks as much as they sort of hoped it would. It did the LA right. Motor Show tour as well, but I okay. think, and I might be, I might be wrong here, Tommy. You might know, but isn't the like the Japanese taxi situation? Aren't the police cars in America kind of custom built for the police force because it's so massive? You would assume so. I mean, they had the uh, Ford Crown Vicar ages, which I feel like was just a taxi and a police car. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's a, a pretty unique situation, though. Uh, well, I it's think. huge. It's just a huge market, right? But yeah. I tell you, if you're worried about you've got it running out of juice, worry about your Chrysler 300 SRT running out of juice, too, because <laughs> when you put your foot down in that thing, you can actually watch the needle, needle drop. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well you, that's the thing is, in it's America, like if you've got a giant V8, uh, really, what's your range? 250Ks? You know, yeah, like it's, right. it's not much better than an electric car, really. Good, good point. I, 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 in terms of American police vehicles, I always admire the, uh, the Bluesmobile. And you've got to oh, have, uh, mate, you know, the best, the best. Cop shocks, cop motor, you know, <laughs> and fix the cigarette lighter. But uh, the, the other one that has seen the light of day is, let me see, the Civic Type R. Now, that was in New South Wales Police. It's a full liveried Honda Civic Type R. Now, this one, Chesto, is very much along the lines of what you were talking about before. It's a a PR tool. Mm -hmm. Um, It's to promote the iWatch program. 
designed to help police use social media to interact with the community. And the uh, it, it, it's a, yeah, and the police say it's a great community engagement tool, but it looks pretty, we've got pictures of it for people watching on YouTube. Uh, it looks pretty amazing as a police car. Mate, the cool thing about that, JC, is that anything you can use to sort of hide the shape of the Civic Type R is a step in the right direction. So the more, the more, liver, is, the more liver is, the better. So putting camouflage back on it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Civic Civic Type R is a funny one. It's like the cops driving WRXs. It, it just yeah. strikes me as, shouldn't this car, you know, be the one being chased, not the other way around? <laughs> back in the day, the, the picture that's in your background there, Tom, you know, in Australia and the UK and elsewhere, probably Mini Cooper S was a was a pursuit vehicle uh, for police in Australia for sure. And what a pursuit vehicle! Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, can't I get you on the about... straight, but I'll nail you in the corner. <laughs> yeah, on a freeway, we're buggered. But take me <laughs> on a windy Alpine road, I'll be right on you. Yeah, I think yeah. it's about as far from five star and cap safety as you could get, though. So. <laughs> It's true. I mean, another one that was considered, or at least we theorised and put it in the consideration uh, set and even had a go at mocking one up to see what it looked like was a GSF Lexus, which mm. also fits that template, if you like, V8 up front, rear wheel drive. Um, it didn't, it didn't uh, get there, but it certainly has mixed up the field since the Falcon and the Commodore um, went, went uh, said goodbye. Well, that's one that's done as a, a police car over in Japan. It's not not a GSF, right. but it's a Toyota Crown, isn't it? Something like that. Is it? Okay. Yeah. But in, in looking at various images, I saw everything from older Falcons to Valiant Chargers to goodness <laughs> knows what. It, and, and it actually would be a good story for us to look through the history um, of some of the cars that have been used for pursuit work by police in Australia. But um, there it is. And look, it'd be good to get people's... Sorry, to, uh, Chesto, go for it. I was going to say, mate, I think in Italy you might find a few of that fine vehicle behind you going around too. Internationally, some of the police cars are epic. So the Dubai you, Police you, Force, for example, has a fairly, fairly yeah, good I think, fleet. Italy does. They've got a Veyron. They've got an Avenger. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, Fantastic <laughs> use of taxpayer money. <laughs> well, actually, Tommy, it's funny you should bring that up. You know, with the BMW, that was a really a, a huge sticking point, as I understand. Mm. It was the PR look of, of our boys in blue driving around in, in BMWs, you know, they thought, is that going to yeah. feel like a waste of taxpayer money? And there is an argument that I, that I would mount that actually really all you need is a, is a fleet of Camrys and a handful of Chrysler 300s. Do you really need BMW? Bikes mm. I, I don't know. Mm. Well, I mean, they've got mainly, what is it? So like Hyundai Sonata. There's a lot of those in New South Wales. Huge amount of Hyundai Sonatas. Yeah. yeah. When, when, cool when, when you're a motorcycle cop, do you really need a leather jacket and a leather cap? You know, do you, do you, do you, maybe you could get away with a boiler suit with police on it, but um, there's, something to, there's something to do with that image, you know? T-shirt and shorts. <laughs> and do, do Australian police spec uh, stubbies with the, the checkered blue and white around the, um, the, the legs would be fantastic. <laughs> Possibly the most ridiculous police look remains the uh, remains the horse. It's the only hangover from the days of old. Do we really still need horses? No, uh, I reckon it's the BMX. I think the BMX <laughs> is is pretty. I don't know. That takes it down a few notches. It to does get that bit. kind of gravitas, even with the leather stuff. <laughs> nah, I don't. I don't think. When you when you replace your siren with a little bell on the handlebars, it does take some of the fear out of it, doesn't it? <laughs> okay. Well, look, it might be uh, fun to ask people listening and watching what they'd like to see mm. um, as a cop car. 
have they been pulled over by one of these vehicles? Has a Tesla Model X ranged up in your rearview mirror? Mm-hmm. Um, let us know your thoughts. I think that'd be terrific. So, what, let, let's let's throw it around the table quickly, JC. What what, do yep. you, what would you like to see as a uh, as the next police car in Australia? What do you think fits oh, the bill? I don't know. Move on to Tom. I'll have a word. Do you I have a think? Do you? What do you reckon, Tom? I do think the, the Stinger makes sense. I know they're already using it in uh, Queensland, but it it doesn't have that kind of uh, you know, aloof upmarketness of the BMWs. And, yep. you know, you can get it specified without leather seats. And it has, well, probably not quite the same amount of room as the Commodores and Falcons had, but it's not quite as, you know, tech heavy or across mm. the dash. So I think it probably makes the most sense. And, you know, again, no, no need to retrain for... Um, okay. You're thinking, of, you're thinking too sensible. That's far too sensible. <laughs> I, th- I, I think I'd go the Ram 1500 wall. Yes. And you'd now have, we're in the, the game you'd have the fiberglass canopy on the back. So it's like a paddy wagon at the same time. So you can, we're talking. if you need to arrest someone, you can chuck them in the back at the same time. That would be intimidating. I totally they're they're already getting those, aren't they? To tow oh, um, water right. police oh, boats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely yeah, yeah. right. Byron picked up on that story. You're absolutely right. So yeah, they're well, sorry, they're, well ahead, they're well ahead of me. What do you, what do you reckon, Chester? Mate, for what it's worth, I reckon it's hard to go past a, a, a black M3 liveried up just for pure kind of cool factor on the road. I'd like to see one of those. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm with you, JC. Throw a cage on the back of a warlock, a couple of lights on the top. You're hey, <laughs> that's even better, Chesto. Rather than the fiberglass canopy, it is a cage. No, an actual so cage. Can, yeah, you can see the people in there just kind of hanging on the side. As oh, that is that way they could drive slowly yeah. through town. You can throw tomatoes at them like it's Game of Thrones or something. <laughs> we'll go back to the old school. So that your is genius. That is genius. Uh, it's like a wall. giant dog box for people. So black. <laughs> the the vehicle is black. Um, it has the light bar. It's, you know, post-apocalyptic with the cage on the exactly, back. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, you have in, in you have a police interceptor like Mad Max's car on one side. Mad I Max can see it. It's an yeah, absolute Yeah, now we're talking. Picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That's good. That uh, that went into places where I didn't think it would. That's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that discussion. We're now going to move to our garage and ah, talk yes. about the cars that we have been driving this week. Tom, could I kick it off with you, please? You've been um, driving one vehicle in the company of others, but uh, tell us about the one you've picked out for today. Yeah, so, uh, w- well, we did a comparison test last week, which you'll be able to read about on site soon, um, uh, which it, it was quite an exciting one. We, we've sort of gotten into the light SUVs, which are your yep. smaller than small SUVs, if you will. They're um, based on things like the you know Toyota Yaris and stuff like that. But the ones we had in the... Yo, What's going on, Chester? Did, did you say did you say quite an exciting one, smaller than small SUVs? Well, yeah, because we haven't done <laughs> it before, and they're Tom all new. Tom lives a quiet new, life. Yeah, <laughs> and they're all new nameplates as well. So the, these nameplates are brand new for this year. Never, okay. never, never been seen before. Um, Man, I'm, ex- so, I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat. Tell me more. There. <laughs> There are some genuine car buyers out there who are excited by this one. I'll have you know. Very good. Very good. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, we stuck uh, the uh, Toyota Yaris Cross. That one's uh, been quite hyped. I think there's a lot of people sort of keeping their eye on that one. Uh, Ford's uh, new Puma, which uh, we think is like really a, an interesting car for that brand. It's a new sort of push into that design language, an affordable space, new technology, love that. everything. And I love that engine. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and the last one we had was the Skoda Kamek. And i got to admit, even before when, when we were planning this test, I thought, gee, this car's flown onto the radar. Like I, I forgot that it had even launched. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. And maybe that speaks to Skoda's lack of, um, you know, marketing spend or ability to do so. But um, having it on the test was actually really interesting because it, it turned out to be really, really quite good. Uh, we all, you know, as, as part of the testing process, uh, quite a few of us got to drive it. And uh, we all really liked it. Um, it. It sort of had a bit more of an upmarket feel than the other two cars. It maybe wasn't quite as fun as the Puma, and it obviously doesn't sip quite as much, uh, quite as little fuel as a as a Yaris Cross Hybrid. Um, but you'll be able to read about the results soon. Um, but what yep. I will do is I'll just run you through some quick cool things about it. Um, Only so if exciting, Tom. If they're not exciting, we don't want to know. <laughs> I don't know. Is an umbrella in the door exciting? A Rolls Royce has that. All right. Thanks yeah. for having me, guys. Very good. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I would add, I would add that the slot the umbrella goes in the door uh, in the roller is heated. Well, I don't. Yes. And I don't think that's the case in the Skoda. No, not quite. I, I don't think they go to quite that level. Uh, still get an umbrella though, and yeah, it's uh, cool. so it, it does have a three-cylinder uh, turbocharged engine, eighty-five kilowatts. It's in the name, eighty-five TSI, eighty-five kilowatts, two hundred newton meters, uh, and. Uh, Seven-speed dual clutch, uh, which I think, interestingly, we're going to start seeing um, those uh, dual clutches sort of phased out of entry-level Volkswagen Group products because they're moving. We know Golf 8, um, at very least, is moving to an eight-speed torque converter uh, next year. Right. So right. Um, interesting yeah. movements there. But anyway, that, that car is really interesting. It's really cool. Um, it feels like a hatchback, not like an SUV, which was the yeah. most interesting thing that I think came out of that testing. Um, yeah. So it's the way I put it is it's a SUV for someone who doesn't want to drive an SUV. And I love that about it. It's interesting, isn't it? That just as the VW group is getting its dual clutch act together and, and they're much better mm. than they were, you know, seven or eight years ago where some of them were pretty dire. Um, now they're moving to talk and they're the yeah. it's, yeah, uh, but, yeah. uh, Anyway, and you forgot the ice scraper, Tom. Open the oh, yeah. flap and there's an ice scraper for the windscreen, which is so useful in the majority of Australian locations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, being a, a front-wheel drive car, you know, when you drive it up to the snow once a year, um, I'm sure it'll come in handy. Yep. Well, met, but there are plenty, plenty of parts of Australia with an ice problem. Now, Tom, <laughs> I, have some, I have some other questions for you, if you don't mind, sir. True. So tell me, yeah, and I, I don't want to give away the uh, the end of this comparison. First, couldn't that just be Skoda's tagline? Like, they're, they're very good, but but often forgotten by the Australian public for some reason. Uh, but every time you get in one, you, you're always pleasantly he, surprised. He, he's, here's my bold prediction for 2021, is that it will be Skoda's year. That after yep, okay. many, many years of building momentum, the product is starting to really substantiate that. So mm -hmm. when you think about Kamek, uh, Karok, um, a new Octavia, and, and the product that's coming for 2021, mm -hmm. I think it could be a bit of a, a breakthrough year for Skoda. There's my bold I'd, prediction. I'd agree for that. It's also a, the kind of semi-premium car for people that want to be a bit different. It almost fits that role that Subaru fit a few years ago, and if you remember. Saab. Or Saab. Or Saab. Yeah. Saab boys. <laughs> yep. So, uh, but anyway, that's that's a statement, not a question. My question is this, Tom: Is the have you driven the Yaris Hybrid hatch? Uh, not the hatch. I've only okay. driven the Yaris Cross so as without a giving, hybrid. Without giving away the end of the comparison, was it uh, was it good? The Yaris Cross Hybrid, mm -hmm. uh, not as good as we expected. Ah, that was my feel. That was my feeling on the hatch. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Well, it's funny actually because um, there is a comparison live now on light hatchbacks where the Yaris featured and none of them were hybrid. So um, they're all sort of petrol okay. engine powered. Um, and the Yaris we found uh, were, had the best ride of the three cars we tested there by, yep. by quite a margin. So it was um, quite interesting to see the Yaris cross perform 
not as well as we expected in our, our light SUV test. But anyway, no spoilers. You have to interesting. No spoilers. Very good. And, and it's and it'll be soon. It'll be soon. So it'll be very soon. Yeah. Wait too long. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Tom. Chesto, uh, we'll move on to your good self. You've had a vehicle on a long-term test, which you've waved goodbye to. Tell us, tell us about it, please. I have. I've spent the last couple of months behind the wheel of the Mazda CX-30 G25 Astina, which is essentially the top of the CX-30 tree until the Skyactiv-X engine. Oh, I think they've just launched the Skyactiv-X engine, so I think it's one below the top rung now, but certainly the biggest the, the biggest and most expensive traditional engine you can buy. Right. Uh, it's a really interesting car, actually. So I, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I've actually never really been a fan of the CX-3. It, it, I think it's a really nice-looking car, but for me, it just serves no practical purpose. It's, it's not – like it, it, if you say the Skoda is a, a, a this SUV that performs like a hatch, the CX-3 is kind of a SUV that performs like a micro car. There's no boot space. There's no right. rear seat space. It's kind of unusable, although albeit very good-looking. So the CX-30 then is supposed to plug that gap between the CX-3 and the CX-5. It's the three-based SUV, so it's a bit bigger. And I defy really anybody to look at that car and tell me that it's not attractive. It is really right. nice designed, right. really sleek inside and out, especially in a Stina trim where you get all sorts of fruit, white leather seats, the whole nine yards, which, of course, my dog promptly destroyed in the back. But anyway, that's another that's a story for Mazda. Okay. <laughs> another time. Nothing, nothing we couldn't wipe out, ladies and gentlemen. Don't worry. But anyway, so it's a really nice looking car. And in a lot of ways, it's a really nice driving car. I like that G25 engine. <laughs> yeah. I like that engine. It's certainly punchy, uh, punchy enough to get around town without being ridiculous. I found the gearbox a little jerky in places. It wasn't quite as smooth shifting as I expected it to be. But perhaps the biggest drawback is that Compared to other vehicles in its segment, cars like the Kia Seltos, for example, it's just not as well packaged in terms of practicality. The rear seat is a little cramped, even for someone of my height, which isn't exactly towering. Um, and the boot as well is, is quite small. So it's a really sleek and stylish car, but you do pay a practicality price for it. You'll get more room in something like a Seltos. So the boot is small for a person of your stature as well. You've been, you know... Up to usual standards, you've been stuffing people in. There. That's right. It's I, real, you've really I, put it to hard use. And I found I could only murder people less than 175 centimetres over the last couple of months. It's really, it's really put a crimp in my work. That's cramped your style, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, look, I, I'll get the exact number for you, but I think if a memory serves the boots, 325 litres uh, VDA, which really isn't massive. The rear space, no. the rear, uh, the rear seats, while very well equipped and very comfortable, are just a little more cramped. And I guess in a world where small SUVs are getting bigger all the time, this one yep. still feels on the smaller side of that spectrum. However, and, I think it's one of the best looking SUVs in the class. So, okay. and for for my wife and I, who and we just no no kids, just the dog in the back. There's plenty of room for us. It's just if you if you want your small SUV to double as a proper family car. You might mm. want to cross shop it against some other some bigger things, just so you know what's out there. So, what did you say that boot space was? I think I'm going to go with 325 VDA, but I'll find it for you. Hang on. So, the interesting thing about that is the three light SUVs, and keep in mind these are all you know footprint wise smaller than your CX30. They all had a larger mm -hmm. boot than that by quite a margin. They're all around oh, that 400 liter area. Well, let me roll that number back. It's actually 317 liters Jeez. VDA with the uh, with the rear seats in place. So, see, that's tiny. It is, exactly. And that does seem to be a theme in Mazda's uh, SUVs until you get to the CX-5 at least. But again, I'm not actually hammering this car because for a family my size, 
uh, i.e. Two, two adults and, and no kids. It's wonderful. It's really lovely to look at, really lovely to yep. sit in and drive, and we don't need the extra space. I'm simply saying if you are using it as a family car, you might just want to have a look at some bigger things as well just to make sure you know what you're getting. Yep. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I had the SkyActiveX actually a couple of weeks ago. Um, oh, there you go. And it, it's hard not to like the technology behind it. But again, it suffers from this, like it, it's not a value option. It's still that kind of design-led and yeah. it's, it's hard not to appreciate the technology that they've put into that engine, but it, it's mm. not a value proposition. And it, no, it's, no, no. it frustrates say- me that it's got a 24-volt mild hybrid system that only assists things. And I, I just feel like it's a half-step into hybrid land it needs to be the full step are you implying there tom that the vaults aren't real they're just you know 24 volt well no that was more around the um the, the word hybrid in that it, Thank you. it doesn't really <laughs> strike me as a hybrid in the sense that we're used to now um you know right. as in the the battery and the motor can drive the wheels yeah so that's yeah. right and, and the funny thing is they're going everything hybrid. Will be, everything will be mild hybrid pretty soon yeah. But the, the yeah. kind of weird thing is that Mazda is going to go full hybrid in the not too distant future, courtesy of this partnership with Toyota. So it does make you wonder where it leaves this technology then. Um, does, does the Sky ActiveX partner with a full hybrid system or, or does it not? Not to, mention, well, not to mention full electric, I want to say MX30. Um, is yeah. That, that's the full electric um, well, I, SUV. I asked him about this and I thought, you know, wouldn't it make sense if they were going to say, okay, well, Sky ActiveX, it's just the next generation of our engine technology. And that replaces, so they go SkyActiveX, two liter engine, has a bit more power, replaces the base two liter SkyActiveG, and then the 2.5 gets replaced with the new turbo engine. That would make yeah. sense to me across their range. So you go, okay, you get the base, that's SkyActiveX, and then you get the top, that's turbo. But apparently not. SkyActiveX no, is just on would, its own. All I'd say is hold that thought because when we get to some of the feedback on last week's uh, show, which is around Mazda 3, we can explore that just a little cool. Yeah. So uh, that's it, Chesto. And have you waved goodbye or is it soon to depart? No, no, no. I've now bid it a fond farewell. I'm, I'm now, I'm just about to jump into a Puma actually, uh, oh, good. Tom. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, oh, good. interesting. Which is that we, already I'm, I'm a bit smitten with. I love a, I love a cute little thing with a, with a punchy and uh, throaty engine. It's fun. Yeah, and I've seen that car because we failed to give you a lift to uh, pick it up at the <laughs> yeah. top of your place. Um, and it's a very nice soft grey colour, which looks amazing. Yeah, it kind of looks like that Audi grey, doesn't it? That flat Audi grey they sometimes use on their models, yeah. Which is called Suzuka grey. It's one of my favourite colours of all time. Ah, there you go. That Audi colour, yeah. But, and you know so, that... The Puma, I think, uh, having now driven it on the comparison test as well, I, I, it was at first I liked it probably the least out of the three because I thought, oh, it's a bit awkward. It's like someone's just gotten a Focus ST and sort of given a, a few steroids and stuff. But um, and then after driving it for a while, and the more I look at it, the more I drive it, the more I liked it. So it's a really interesting car. Okay. Mm. Oh, that's grows, grows very good. Yeah, it okay. does. Uh, I'll um, I'll chip in with an Audi, Audi, an Audi. No, an Audi RSQ8. Um, a lazy, Still a man of the people, taste there. <laughs> it's a lazy uh, $208,000, $208,000 before you put it on the road. Um, yeah, In typical hypo German fashion now, it's a twin turbo V8. Um, this one being a four litre, eight speed auto, all wheel drive. And it's in the league with you know your M6, uh, X6M competition, mm-hmm. a Merck AMG, GLE 63S. And this is price wise too, mind you. Um, and a Porsche Cayenne Coupe, you know, there are, there are others in and around that money. 
It's 2.3 tonnes, it's 441 kilowatts, it's 800 newton metres, yet it's zero to 100 kilometres an hour in 3.8 seconds. This this thing is enormously powerful. It's mad. And on the plus side of the, the ledger, I would say that monster performance is massively enjoyable. Um, it sounds amazing. And the RS mode, you've got adaptive damping and you can tune the car to your own, you know, tastes. Uh, it's very comfortable and super luxurious. It is loaded. You know, there's there's very little that this thing misses out on. Um, it's on 23s. It's on 23-inch rims with uh, 295 by 35 Contis on them. And you can, what I'd say on the, on the less positive uh, front is that you really feel the mass of the car. Um, and you get that sense that it's trying to be force-fitted with a dynamic character into a format that is fundamentally opposed to that. You know, you've got, you've got a big SUV, you've got a massive engine, and you're trying to make all that feel buttoned down and sharp and really nimble, and it just it doesn't happen. You've, you do feel as though you have a high centre of gravity, um, and it's sort of counterintuitive to make a super high-performance, high-riding SUV. Having said that, that engine under your right foot is just tremendous fun. Mm. Um, and, and if you're into that, um, but it's, it's a lot of money um, to pay for, for where, where, you know, there are possibly some other options for not quite that much dough that'll get. I'll dive in for one moment, JC. And this is just, I guess, to give the listeners a bit of background. Usually when we do these things, we're, we're reviewing cars that belong to car companies. They, they loan it to us for a particular amount of time and we do them. JC's uh, doing a bit differently this week in reviewing his own car, uh, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> which is unique. No, uh, no, no. It's but JC, not- I, I spent some time with that thing when you were very kind enough to lend it to me after after taking delivery. And uh, i got to say, the uh, mate, I thought the ride was staggering considering it's on 23-inch alloys. I thought yep. the ride was unbelievable. Yeah, it's comfy. Uh, yeah, mate. I also thought that you know value is is comparative, isn't it? What you're really buying there is a kind of half half price euros, really. Yeah. Um, so when yeah, you think about it, when you put it that way, actually the value proposition is not too bad. And I, mate, I, I got to say, I, I really enjoyed my time with that car. I, I agree with you. Like you are trying to like like most high performance SUVs, you're trying to put a, a, a round peg in a square hole. But I uh, I don't know. There's something really beasty and lusty about that car that I that I quite enjoyed. Cool. Oh, I was going to ask. I, I was going to ask if uh, you could feel. So the, I had a GLE fifty three coupe not that long ago, and I, I thought the cool thing about that car was you can feel all of the technology at play trying to tame physics, and it's yeah. not a, an experience like driving a sports car where it's all very mechanical and and real. It, it's this kind of weird. It, it's cool, but not in the same way. I don't know if uh, the that car was like that. It's interesting, Tom. I tried to describe the sensation in driving the uh, GR Yaris. Now, not exactly a competitor for, for this thing, but in that car, when you were cornering with some enthusiasm, you kind of sensed what it was doing rather than actively felt it. It was so good that you knew that was happening, but you didn't actually have a physical sensation of wow. torque shifting from one axle to the other. Um, this one's a bit the same, not that I had the opportunity to drive it in quite the same way as the GR Yaris, that all of that technology um, just, it's like the swan, you know, on the lake. It's, it's yeah, seamlessly yeah, yeah. just cruising across the top and underneath it's furiously doing its thing um, to sort it all out. It's pretty mm. impressive in that regard. Yeah. I actually said a similar thing in, the, in, in my review of that car, JC. It, I, it, my biggest complaint about it was that you just felt a bit detached from what was going on. Like mm. the car was right. the car was doing it all for you, which is yep. kind of the opposite experience of the GAR. It's where despite that car being very clever, you still very much feel a part of the process, you know. You totally. 
totally do. Totally do. All right. Well, that's that's three cars from the Cars Guide Garage this week. Um, and that's where we'll leave it. But we'll go to, to feedback from last week's show. And that was the one, as I mentioned earlier, we were talking about the Mazda 3 and how the Aussie market seems to have fallen out of love with it and turns its, its attention to either other cars in the Mazda lineup or, or other brands. Mm. And the, the feedback was really interesting. And for mine, it broke down into three primary groups, price, looks, and performance. And mm. on price, we had a lot of comments about it being a bit too expensive. And I suppose it's um, symptomatic of Mazda's push-up market. They're just trying to make their brand that little bit more premium. And It's the, the hardest thing in the world to do too, isn't it? And the, the price is going with it. So people aren't buying it just yet. And mm. uh, Tim Burr, Tim Burr, 86, nice name, um, he says the main issue with the Mazda 3 is price, service mm. intervals, and the premium it has on the mild hybrid Skyactiv-X. X. So Serato and i30, same features, cheaper, longer warranty, longer service mm. intervals. Like Toyota with hybrid, maybe Skyactiv X should be available throughout the range. Mm. Would still buy a three as they're beautiful. So he puts his hand up to that. But Tom, it's to your point earlier. Skyactiv X has been positioned as a premium technology. It just goes into the Mazda 3 Astina only. Whereas Toyota with its hybrid tech has made it filter through the entire range and you can buy a lower tier hybrid car. He's, you know, Tim's suggesting that maybe that's a, a plan of attack for Mazda to make Skyactiv X more integrated into their range of cars. Yeah, I, I, I still wouldn't see the value proposition of it. Like hybrid makes sense. You, after having a uh, Toyota Corolla long-term in hybrid trim, it's only whatever, a grand, two grand more in that region. And you do see real fuel savings and real around yep. town efficiencies yep. and, and things yep. like this. That's and the it, point. That's a very good point. It yep. makes so much sense. But then SkyActiv-X, if that was one or two grand more, and let's say we do replace SkyActiv-G with SkyActiv-X in uh, you know, a, a hypothetical um, yep. the product planning land, uh, it would add you know a grand or two to the price. And then you've got a real problem because your cars are even more expensive than they were before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. God, that, that pricing is so challenging, isn't it? Do you, do you remember when Hyundai did the i30? They were selling the 1999 Go and they couldn't build them fast enough. Then they did sure. the next generation and said, you know what, guys, we're actually shifting a bit more up market. We've got more equipment. We're going to start at 23,990. And tumbleweeds yeah. were blowing through the dealerships. Fast forward six months, they said, you know what? We've changed our strategy slightly. We've now got this 19990 go. Now, Hyundai's argument, and it's a good one, is that people don't buy the 19990 car. They come in for it and then and then have a look at the better one, better alloys, better interiors, et cetera, and spend a bit more. But when you remove that lure to the dealership, people don't come in at all. I could not agree more. I think it's a real trap when product planners or bean counters or whoever's looking at the spreadsheet says, oh, look, but we don't sell any of those ones. Why don't we just start the range with the car that everybody mm. buys, which completely misses the point that you've just made. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what Mazda... I actually made a bold prediction when Mazda launched the new Generation 3 that give it six or eight months and they'll be back to doing a, a, a sort of entry-level cheaper mm. model. So, so so far, that hasn't happened. Uh, <laughs> but but also, but the sales haven't been wonderful either. So I, I don't know what they do, to be honest. Can you imagine right. a, a base... Mazda 3 with steel wheels and like plastic bumpers. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. Um, we, we then move on to the looks, which of course is a much more subjective area. And I think in last week's show, we did mention that you, you have pretty much polarized camps. You know, yeah. people that are in love with the way the Mazda 3 looks and people who are really weirded out by it. Um, and Raucus 919 said it's a bit flash looking, um, which again is that, that issue of we're going to push up market, we're going to make it look really slick. So you leave some people behind. Yeah. Um, in, at the same time as you're trying to recruit uh, newcomers. Um, 
CX3 park next to it, CX3 every day of the week. And then he says, then walk into Kia and buy something else. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, Shem Mac, Mazda 3 looks great, but I think it's moved away from being a practical hatch and into an almost large coupe-looking thing. And I think mm. that's absolutely the idea that they're trying to get that sleek coupe-looking uh, design, but it's, it's obviously not striking a chord with everybody because Cyber Matt Strikes said new Mazda 3 doesn't look as good as, and it jumped 5K. New hatch, weird-looking. And that word weird came up a few times. Yeah. Um, no code 89. And I looked at uh, for what a code 89 is, and it's the uh, oil life monitor. So when you change the oil, you want to reflash that uh, that code and make sure that it doesn't come yeah. up again. So thanks, no code 89. Um, Mazda 3 didn't sell well because it's more expensive, less practical, and the hatch rear end is too round and looks weird. So there's that that word again. Sedan yeah. looks great, though. Too bad nobody buys non-performance sedans anymore. You've got to see it in the flesh, though, so I the, reckon. The looks is obviously a bit of an issue. Like I think it was JC. I mean, the, I'm, the, that camp is very split. I'll give you an example. Our friend and colleague, Stephen Colby, is head over heels in love with the design of that car. Me, not so much. I, I think the old one looked better, the uh, the outgoing car. Interesting. I, I, I actually really like it. I think there's a lot of uh, Alfa Romeo Brera about the rear end of the hatch. And I think the sedan's really good looking too, which it seems to be really tough at the moment. You know, you look at the kind of sedan hatch split from a lot of uh, rival hatch hatchbacks or sedans and then... This one always looks a bit awkward. I find the mm -hmm. Kia, Kia Cerato is an interesting one because I, I find the hatch looks a bit weird, but the sedan actually looks really good. Um, but Mazda seems to have done it for both. So I think they both look quite good, but it's it's funny to see people being weirded out by the hatch. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Tom. When you when you want to produce a mass market mainstream vehicle that you're hoping to sell hand over fist, you want to base it on the Alfa Romeo Brera. <laughs> I think that's your target. All right, gents. So let's do the Master Three Roundtable then. Weird or wonderful, JC? Wonderful. I I'm in the camp that absolutely loves it. I think that hatch is superb, notwithstanding the limitations it puts on your kind of over the shoulder view. Those big C pillars. I like it. Love it. Okay. Tom? Love it. It's wonderful. Um, looks great. Feels it from behind the wheel. Obviously, has moved out of being a, a value proposition. But um, look, you know, it, it's a, they, they put themselves in a unique position now. And will it work? Who knows? Okay. I'm somewhere between the two, I reckon. I'm, not, I'm definitely not in the weird camp. But I'm not quite in the wonderful camp either. I just, there was something... Uh, at the risk of sounding like it's a 1950s, there was something a little more masculine about the old Mazda 3. I think the, the, the new one's just completely smooth line, lines, loses something for me. But anyway, that's just my opinion. Cool. Now, look, the, the other, one of the other things that was called out was performance. So George P was representative, uh, Manu Jar, that Mazda 3 needs more responsive power to sell. People are waiting for the turbo, I think, um, mm. was Manu's uh, three, two bobs worth. Um, and You're waiting a while, I think. Put it all together, really. He's a Mazda devotee. He's owned eight, he says, usually two at a time, <laughs> including he's had an RX-8, various others. He'd still consider a new three to replace his current one, but the turbo would seal the deal. Um, you know, it's not about straight line speed that appeals to him, but that effortless drive. Um, and he's getting that vibe from the North American reviews of the turbo mm. version of the three, that it's quite effortless uh, mm. to drive. And he said it seems to add to that premium feel Mazda's keen on. So he's, he's sussed that that's where Mazda's heading. Um, the current three, even with the 2.5, seems underdone, his word, not mine, um, and a bit thrashy at high revs. 
And he says, so come on, Mazda, you know, uh, bring the Turbo 3 down under. Um, so I, I, I think Tom has some news on that, don't you? Tom, don't, don't, you, don't you know something about the, the three turbos and it's not no. good news? <laughs> yeah, no. I, I think the most recent thing we did on it, um, uh, we were saying that it's it's still ruled out for right-hand drive and it's a American market special sort of deal. I think it would be such a shame if that engine never came here. And you've got to sort of look mm, at it and I think, agree. oh, you know, if it, would that sort of thing make sense for a midlife update for that car? Because we're still early on in its life cycle. So, you know, I, I don't... You know, is it no forever? I don't. I don't think so. I hope not. I think it'd be great yeah, the, with that engine. The other thing to remember is, I, I know they don't call it an out-and-out hot hatch, but it's also bloody quick. They did some performance mm. testing in the US. I think it was getting. I can't remember the exact number now, but it was outpunching GTIs and Type Rs and stuff. It was a. Uh, it, it's a fairly quick thing in a straight line. Which which leads beautifully into Lofty Vision's feedback. Good old Lofty um, came at us and said. Interesting that mainstream brands that no longer offer hero cars are suffering falling sales. Mazda has mm. no MPS and don't get me started on Subaru. Um, mm. For example, it's a huge disappointment that there's no Outback XT uh, coming to Australia. And his quote is, nobody aspires to mediocrity. Although I've got to say, if I was able to achieve mediocrity, uh, <laughs> I might be, I'd be quite pleased. Um, but he says, you know, Hyundai N, Toyota GR, Hero cars obviously attract buyers to the whole range. So, for the love of God, wake up Mazda and Subaru. And then he put a very nice subbing uh, mark with a, a oblique end of rant. Um, so, uh, thank you for that, Lofty. Go, Chester. Sorry to interrupt again, but I'm just going to pour a great big bucket of cold water on that on that theory because, unfortunately, it's not right. It's it's not as if Toyota was really struggling in Australia and the i30, the uh, GR Yaris has suddenly kick-started it. And it's not as if Mazda was struggling in Australia after the MPS. They were one of the best-selling brands. There's something else at play here. It's not just a hero yeah. car or a missing yeah. hero car because but two, three years ago, Mazda was on an absolute high. So something's changed. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Lofty, you know, return serve. Let's hear what you say about that. Um, but then in general, Lofty added that um, PSIC BGL gate continues on Byron's Ranger. Now, the car that Byron would be driving last week was a Ranger Wild Track. And um, Lofty's uh, nine-year-old son, Lofty Jr., had been launching an investigation into why a lot of cars had BGL on the registration plate. And Jim Danick had cracked the case wide open and realised that Ford had registered a bunch of cars uh, and they all had the BGL on their number plate, a, a Focus ST, another yeah. wild track. But BGL 347 is a new BGL. So Lofty <laughs> Junior will be thrilled to see that. And um, also Steve Corby last week um, made a reference to a Genesis colour uh, called Melbourne Grey, which I think was directed specifically <laughs> to uh, Byron Matthew Darkus, who is a proud Melbourne dweller. And let's see if says, I get the Melbourne Grey. But Sydney gets 1,223 millimetres of rainfall versus Melbourne 603 millimetres as of 2020. How good is that? And um, I was just thinking of Bertie, another proud Victorian. He'd be, he'd be uh, very interested to hear those numbers. But um, <laughs> speaking of interesting numbers, it is time for Must Watch. Must Watch. Uh, first up, during the week, uh, SpaceX launched its Starship into high altitude for the first time. And let's just say it went out in a blaze of glory. 
in that it went to, um, to a certain altitude, which was very good by all accounts. SpaceX was very happy. Um, it uh, is the highest altitude test flight so far, but then it exploded as it attempted to land because they, these craft do that very impressive, you know, landing again. It wasn't so impressive this time. And uh, however, the dear leader was very happy, as were people at uh, SpaceX. He tweeted successful ascent, switch over to header tanks, all of this, you know, technical blah, blah, blah. And a few minutes later, he added, Mars, here we come. Right. So on Twitter, that drew an interesting response. Millennium Creek said, uh, bring back something cool. And, and <laughs> Barisi Taha, <laughs> Taha spoke for many of us when he said, I'm good with Earth. And, and Stephen Shaw said, can you take at real Donald Trump with you? <laughs> Which I thought was pretty good. But bear in mind, the SpaceX Starship, it's being designed as a deep space spacecraft to travel to the moon and colonize Mars, also as a heavy lifter and, and launcher. It, this launch was with three Raptor engines. Ultimately, it'll have six and be able to carry up to 100 people into space. It's scheduled to send Japanese billionaire Yasuka Meizawa and other passengers on a trip around the moon in 2023. Mm. Um, so it's currently um, not in that kind of condition, but Elon says um, if the timeline's in question, uh, Musk has predicted the Starship will do hundreds of missions with satellites aboard before we put people on it. So, so um, I think Yasuka would be sitting nervously having a look at that uh, test flight this week. So if my math is correct, and I, I probably isn't, if, if that thing can hold 100 people and we colonise Mars, Mars, I'll only need to make 700 million trips and we'll, uh, we'll all be there. It's <laughs> How good's that? Manchester, it's for the rich. That's, oh, I see. That's the insight. That's the insight that we got several weeks ago. All of these things, the, the uh, Cybertruck, it's a, it's, a, an, it's a protective cocoon to put around you for rich people. The, ah. the tunnels to get you from one place to another, that's not mass transit. That's so you can sidestep the mass transit and do ah, it. Gotcha. People. Gotcha. Um, anyway, also, Cyberpunk, a much-anticipated game, has hit the market, and apparently there's been lots of problems with people using a PS4 and an Xbox One, playing it on the console. So, of course, uh, our nearly 50-year-old man-child posted um, an, uh, uh, on Twitter because um, the people who make Cyberpunk had put up their own apology for these problems. And Elon reposted a Reddit post from this very uh, troubled person saying, does anyone else just feel empty? I've been crying for the last few days. I took a week off work to play this game and I quickly realized it's not the game I've been thinking about every day for eight years. I cried myself to sleep and I haven't been able to function and on and on and on it goes. Poor person, whoever it is, is in a bad way. Uh, but Boopsie says, that's funny. I feel the same about Teslas. I do, though, unsarcastically feel that way about the workers you forced back to work and consequently got COVID. <laughs> and I love, it, love it when a plan backfires. I feel the same way. And Sensalesis says, Elon, what's the progress on the genetically engineered cat girls asking for a friend? This is, this is what he gets on, um, on Twitter. Anyway. The share price is up to $633.25 for Tesla, and it was $607 and a bit last week. Hit a high of $660 on Friday. 
And I read a really interesting story on Market Watch, authored by a guy called Mark de Cambray. And what he's saying is that everybody's seeing Tesla as an outlier in terms of its share price. They have a price to earnings ratio of 1,278. Now that's um, an asset share price divided by its earnings per share. Now Tesla is in the Standard & Poor's 500. The average there is 26.79. So we're talking 26 oh my gosh. versus 1,278. So um, investors have been willing to pay $26.79 for every $1 of earnings. Tesla people are willing to pay $1,300 for every dollar of earnings. But what he's saying is, will Tesla, now it's in the S&P 500, actually drag the market to a new high? Or will Tesla be dragged back by the market? That it's such mm -hmm. a phenomenon that it has the potential to change the conventional dynamic of the stock market in the US. Just crazy, isn't it? If you'd asked me a year ago, I said they, it, it would drag, it, the market would drag it down. Now I'm not so sure, to be perfectly honest. Absolutely. So uh, time will tell, but it's been very interesting during 2020. Um, and speaking of which, with that, we've reached the finish line for today and for 2020. Um, thanks to everyone listening and watching for your patience, support and feedback. As we move to this remote format uh, for the show, we're still trying to make it better, but uh, thank you very much for your patience. We'll be back from January 15 and our Greatest Hits Holiday Series compilation will hopefully keep you entertained and informed until then. But for now, I want to say thank you, Chesto. Thank you, everyone, and thank you, viewers. It's been a hell of a year. Enjoy your holidays. And thank you, Tom. Thank you. Yeah, enjoy your holidays as well. It's um, yeah, been an interesting yeah, and sure. of course, um, thanks to our add-ups and minuses expert, hand-washing champion and thunder god, Mr. Pritchard, for oh his incredible <laughs> skill and dedication throughout the year. Today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, 2020, one star, very bad, would not recommend. Um, <laughs> Pac-Man pants and tank <laughs> shoes. Uh, it's quite a look, as usual. Let us know your thoughts. You can find Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an Apple podcast listener, please rate and review us. Remember, you can also watch us on YouTube. And if you are already, make sure you subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. All the best for the upcoming break and see you in 2021. But before we go, you know, I was lonely until I glued a coffee cup to the roof of my car. Now everyone waves at me. <laughs> what are you best, JC? What a way to end the year. <laughs> See you in 2021. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.